And for those of us who will be upstairs, I invite you to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. Apparently from announcements, I don't know what part of the calendar we're in. I might not know what day it is, but I do know that today we're in Ephesians 1, 15 through 23, as we slowly and steadily and prayerfully make our way through this book following Easter, um, to spend time with the church in Ephesus and to think about what they learned along the way that we also learn. To think about how they understood the resurrection of Jesus Christ and their salvation and how they put that into practice and celebrated it and continued to live into the truths that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. And so we follow along in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. But before we read God's word together, let's pray for God's blessing upon the word. Let's pray. God, may your word be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path so that we may see you, Jesus, both leading the way, watching over us, guarding us from behind and on the sides, May we see you more clearly, and through your word, may we learn to love our neighbor more sincerely. God, for your blessing upon the word, send your Holy Spirit, we pray, on this day and on all days. Amen. Ephesians 1, 15 through 23 is going to be one of those texts that there's just a lot of, once again, there's some just up there language because the Apostle Paul, in sharing this part of the letter, this is the greeting part yet, and it's almost over the top. And I would say it's completely sincere, but it's also just, just high energy all the way up here. And if you contrast it to other letters, there's in Colossians and uh, Galatians, well, actually more Colossians um, and Philippians, there's more of the same greeting and some celebration and thanksgiving. Galatians goes right from grace and peace to you. I'm amazed at how quickly you have abandoned the gospel. Galatians is up to some trouble. But Ephesians is this over-the-top joy, completely sincere and completely over-the-top. So hear these words. As just imagine the Apostle Paul writing this, thinking of this specific church and what it would be like to just be so excited to write about it. Would you do the same? if you were writing to someone about North Holland. Hear these words from the book that we love. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, 
and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You don't use phrases like fills everything in every way, so nonspecific and broadly sweeping. You don't use phrases like that unless you're really excited about something really big. And for the Apostle Paul in writing to the church in Ephesus, he is excited and is rejoicing that everything he's heard about them, every report that he has received has been of their great faith in Christ, that they are steadfast, devoted people, that they have received the gospel of salvation and the forgiveness of sins and the promise of eternal life. They have received it and and dwelt with it deeply. They have deep faith in Jesus for which Paul rejoices for under Jesus is all things everywhere. And also about this church, Paul notes that they love all of God's people. So this is a church not only of deep faith, but also a church of committed mission. They love all God's people. They are devoted to the Lord, their God, their Savior, their King, and they are devoted to serving and loving their neighbor diligently, thoughtfully, with all heartfelt sincerity. All the things that the Apostle Paul is hearing about this brings him to rejoice and that he can't not remember them in his prayers without giving thanks. They love all God's people. Does that mean they love all the people in the church or the people outside of the church? The answer would be yes, both. They love all God's people. They love their brothers and sisters in Christ. They love all of God's people who are in the church, who have received and celebrated the good news of Jesus. And they also love their neighbor because as Psalm 24 tells us, the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it, the world and all who live in it. All who live in it are God's people. And the church in Ephesus They love one another as evidence of the great love that God has given them, and they love those around them. They love their neighbors, and they share the good news. They are a vibrant and active church. Paul rejoices and celebrates in what he hears, and he brings that same joy before God. Because this is the the type of church, the people in Ephesus They've got their struggles, certainly, but they strive forward with passion and love for the gospel they have received. They are the type of people that if you ran into someone from that church in Ephesus, and they, you might just ask them, what's so different about you? And they would say, I've got lots of love to give to the world because I have received the greatest love from God. That's the church in Ephesus, vibrant and active. And so there's gratitude. There's gratitude that becomes more specific over time along with some instruction. But I wonder if we today were to sit down and, and, and write a letter imagining what are the things that you would have heard about North Holland that would put you in the same frame of mind as the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Ephesus. 
I wonder about some of the things that would make your heart rejoice, that would fill you with gratitude, that when you think about the people that make North Holland one church among the universal church worldwide, the things that would make you rejoice, that you can't help but to give thanks to God for. Could you think back to some of just the the recent things that have happened Thinking about yesterday's car wash, a group of youth who are excited to go somewhere, diligent in putting their work together, and who have a good time working together. Could you reach back into our history and think about since 1945, when the church had burned down, but when some folks came back from World War II and said, hey, the world's a much bigger place than what we realized. We need to send missionaries out to the world. And then as if the the commitments of finance and prayer were not enough. There were people who said, we've got to go out and meet our missionaries and work alongside them for a season. Would you not give thanks for that type of commitment and involvement for people who went to the ends of the earth? Would you not also think about the ways in which North Holland continues to serve the community around them? Thinking about how long it has been that we've been a Kids Hope partner to to mentor students across the street to just be there for someone who needs a steady presence in their life, or the ways in which food is provided for those around us, would you not rejoice to know the commitment of North Holland with the mobile food pantry at South Olive or with hand to hand going across the street with backpacks of food for the weekend? Would you not rejoice and give thanks if you reflected on some of the stories of the way in which people have been taken care of by their brothers and sisters in Christ here? in small ways that meant the world and in large sacrificial ways. If you were to spend that time with the first thing in your mind being gratitude, would you not also be compelled to bring forward praise to God's name? Maybe it's thinking back to a trip that you went on or a small group that you were in that fills you with gratitude of the times when you were deeply involved, when your faith was growing, and yes, the challenges of this world were still here, and yet you had reason to rejoice. Would you not just fall in love with the church over and over again? I know when I, when I first came here, there were all these reasons that I just kind of fell in love with North Holland. It was the culture of people. And it, one thing that I, I wrote in a seminary assessment of North Holland when I was a first-year student at Western was, it is refreshing to find a church with such history, founded 1852. We were doing some demographic work along the way. Founded in 1852, such history, a place that has heritage without becoming stodgy and a place with rich tradition that did not become rigid. Things that make you fall in love with the church. People who you can laugh with, cry with, pray with, and be prayed for by. I rejoice when I think of this place. And with gratitude first in our hearts, we fall in love all over again with places that are dear to us. Would you not fall in love all over again writing a letter about North Holland? The Apostle Paul has all of the gratitude for the church in Ephesus, and I hope we could find that same gratitude about our own congregation here in Holland. 
But also there's a prayer in this, in this opening of thanksgiving. There is a prayer, and, and, and it's a simple prayer. And I wonder if we, if we read these words, if we can understand both that this is a prayer that fit the Ephesian church really well, and it also is a church, it's a prayer that fits us well. It's a prayer that fits each and every church at all times and in all places, because these words from the, church, from the Bible to the church in Ephesus were written at a specific time, at a specific place, to a specific people. And yet they are timeless and they are meant for all of God's people throughout all the ages, in all places, and in all seasons. Paul prays for them that they will receive a spirit, the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And, and what for? So that they can know God better. I pray that you receive God's Holy Spirit so that you can know God even better. This Lord that you have received, this good news that you have accepted, I want you to receive God's Holy Spirit just so you continue to know God better and that the eyes of your heart may be opened. The eyes of your heart may be opened. Now, there's lots of different things in our world today and probably in the world of the Ephesian church that everyone wants to say that they're ready to open our eyes to something, right? Um, you can't watch an advertisement without them saying, you know, well, we want to open your eyes to how not good of a job your vacuum cleaner is doing. We'd like to open your eyes to how good this one is. We want to open your eyes to how bad your deodorant is. We want to open your eyes to how good our product is. There's always something to be sold with this opening up of your eyes. Take it from us. We've got the corner on the market or the corner on truth. The Apostle Paul does pray for the eyes of the Ephesian church to be opened, to be enlightened, that their hearts may know hope. It's not that Paul is selling them on anything, but rather what he's saying is, I want you to know the hope that you already have in your hearts, and I want you to know it even better so that you can cling to it even more strongly. And I want you to know the power that is already at work within you. I want God's Holy Spirit to open up the eyes of your heart that you may be enlightened to know that the same power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead is the power that is at work within you. I want you, church in Ephesus, to know just that. I want you, church at North Holland, to know just that, that the power of the resurrection is the same power that is at work in our hearts. This is good news. This should inspire us and build us up. This is what the prayer is for the church in Ephesus and for the church at North Holland even today, to know that resurrection power. And it would fill us with gratitude to receive and to know what we already have just to even know it better. There is so much good to celebrate. It doesn't make the hardships or even the faults disappear. But there is so much good to celebrate. And the Apostle Paul, in writing this, just can't slow down with his run-on sentences and even making up words by just pushing them together because he just can't write it all down fast enough. But there's another letter to the church in Ephesus, one that we should at least have in mind as we continue to read through this book of Ephesians. This other letter, it's not Ephesians 2 or anything like that. The other letter to the church in Ephesus is found in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 2 
And there's the letters to the seven churches. And in Revelation chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, there's another letter to the church in Ephesus. I'm not going to read it all the way through. I'm going to read the whole thing, but I'm going to interrupt it here and there as we think about Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus and his prayer for them and how it adds up, knowing that this would be written a little bit later, within the same lifetime and generation as when Paul wrote to Ephesus, but some time has passed. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. Okay, hold up there already. This church is already still known for the same ways in which Paul rejoiced with the ways in which they loved all God's people, in which the ways they served their neighbors, that is still true of them. It's still in their reputation and in their DNA. Your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. Doesn't that kind of fit with what you know North Holland to be? I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name, and you have not grown weary. Now pause there. The essence of this is that this church in Ephesus knows right from wrong. And that whole line about you do not tolerate wicked people is specific to the teachings that are coming from outside. Someone who's saying, let me sell you on a different gospel. Let me lead you in a different direction. The church in Ephesus, they know right from wrong. They know right teaching, orthodox from wrong. Now, are there wicked people in the world? Certainly. There's wicked people in the church. But the wickedness that's not tolerated is that anyone would be led astray. But rather, we love all of God's people. We love all, both our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we love the world around us as our ongoing mission field. But we know to be not led astray. All good things so far. You have persevered. You know right from wrong. You keep doing the right things. And verse 4, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken or forgotten or amnesiaed out of your mind the love you had at first. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. It's interesting, of all the different times in Scripture we're told to repent, usually we're told to do something very, very different. And in this case, the letter to Ephesus in Revelation tells them to do the things they did at first, to go back in time just a little bit. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. That sounds kind of scary. What that means is that Christ is the light of the world and he has called us to be his light, to shine light on the world. And you know what? If you're not doing it with your love that you had at first, if you're not doing all these things that you work hard at and persevere and do good deeds, if you're not doing that with the love of Christ in your heart, then it's not Christ's light that is shining. And that lamp that you're holding up to shine light to the world, it's not the light of Christ anymore. You might be doing the right things. You might be doing decent, good things. 
but it's not the light of Christ that's shining anymore. So the lamp will get removed from its place. But, verse 6, you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. This is related back to those wicked people, false prophets, false teachers that, that the book is talking about. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. It's a reminder that, that all of our human striving and our learning and our growing is trying to get us back to Eden. Back to Eden in the sense that we want to be with God in an unrestricted sense and we want to be cared for the way that Adam and Eve were cared for in the garden. We want to get back to that tree of life and to be able to partake of it freely. All of our good works done in the name of Jesus are to bring us back to that taste of Eden. And the church at its best is giving a taste of Eden to the world where God is close, God is near, God's presence walks among us. That's a taste of Eden. And where our needs are cared for, where we don't want for anything but we are sufficiently cared for and not just cared for in terms of our needs, but we are deeply loved. That allusion to Eden is important. And yet, of all of the good, what is it that is held against the church in Ephesus? You have forgotten the love you had at first. You're still doing good. You still know right from wrong. You're still working hard, but you forgot the love you had at first. The, the spark or the passion has gone out. And now maybe habit, good habits are keeping us going forward, but we lost something that we used to have. That is what is held against the church in Ephesus. And it is helpful for us and for all churches to know, to have this in Scripture to know that this is the life cycle of church. Good things up here, and then we fade out a little bit. Goes back and forth. It's a gift to have both letters to the church in Ephesus. Consider how easy it is to lose that love that you had at first. You could think of it in the, the same way that Christ is the bride, Christ, the church is the bride of Christ. You can think of the, the young couple who falls in love and they are passionate and they are committed to one another and what they would say is, you know, we can face the whole world as long as we have each other and that that's the kind of faith that we want to have in God that we know that there's trials and hardships out there but we say, you know what, if I have Jesus with me, I can face the whole world as long as we're together. That kind of passionate spark of love. But you think about a young couple who maybe fell in love that way and then, you know, they get engaged, and engagements are stressful. They were stressful even before COVID. And then before, before you know it, you could just be in kind of some sort of good rhythm. We know right from wrong, but we lost some of the love we had at first. We're not passionate and fierce about this person in our life. This is what can happen in the church. 
We're still doing good things. We still know right from wrong, but we can lose that love we had at first, that fierce passion for Jesus that says, I want to know you even more and know your love even more so that I can more faithfully share that love and show that love to the world. It's so easy to lose. Think about the, the dream job that you finally land and it's the most excited you could ever be. And then before too long, it's just a chore to go to work because we can lose the love we had at first. We can go from feeling like we're doing what we were created to do to having to just keep on moving along. Think about the, the athlete who falls in love with their sport, but then as time goes on, it seems like the sport owns them. Not an uncommon story among college athletes to lose the love they had at first for the game that they fell in love with as a kid, but only to rediscover it later when they're coaching and seeing that first love of the sport in those around them. The musician who at first just makes a cacophonous racket in their practice sessions, but then who learns to perform a beautiful solo or to contribute to a majestic orchestra or symphony. For talent without training is nothing. We're not, we're not waiting for finding something that we're a prodigy at. We're putting our first diligence to the things that we love. Or the singer who trains their voice to find the right pitch and harmony. We can so easily lose the love we had at first though. This is the call to the church in Ephesus, in both parts of scripture, that we are wise to be mindful of. We can lose the love we had at first. And how do we find it again? Because we'd be tempted to just live back in the glory days. Oh, if only we could get back to this or that. I would encourage us, friends, to remember those good times and remember them with gratitude so that we fall in love again with the people of this body and the church that we are a part of, part of the church worldwide. Remember with gratitude to rekindle that love and passion. What was it about that small group that you were in or the life group you participated in that pushed you forward? Is it time to maybe reach out and get one started again? What was it about that project that you were so diligent about or the work trip that you went on that fed your faith in life? Is it time to look for one again? Is it time not just to do the right things but to make sure that with gratitude we rekindle the love we had at first so that the lamp is in its right place, that our light will shine, not just because of our good works, but because of the motivation in our hearts to do them, because it is motivated by Christ's great love for us. Find the love you had at first. Peel back the layers of all the things that maybe something became over time. Be refreshed in gratitude. Now what that doesn't mean it doesn't mean living in the glory days. It means being grateful to rekindle. And it also, it doesn't mean that we ignore problems or hardship or conflict. What we're mindful of in the scriptures is this practice of lament, the practice of not saying, and Pastor Audrey's used this before too, um, we, we brought this definition from a, a teaching that we did on lament. Lament in the scriptures is not saying, 
well, it could be worse. Life could be worse. Well, it can always be worse. That's not the point. Instead of saying life could be worse, in the scriptures, what we find in lament is saying life could be better. And I wish it was. And I'm going to hold that wish before God. Not it could be worse, but rather it could be better. I wish it was. And I'm going to hold that before God. And either ask God to make it better or lead me in ways to make the world a better place in your power. We do lament, but we don't get caught where we only lament, where we only notice the problems and the grievances and the frustrations. We do all of that work. We hold that up in the right ways. And alongside of that, we also give thanks. We find gratitude that makes us fall in love again. So moving forward, moving forward into looking at summertime, looking at another fall, time marches steadily forward. I wonder if there's some grief and lament that is just being held onto inside and that needs to find its way out. And may that also happen alongside of gratitude put first so that we do not forget the love that we had at first. Put gratitude first to find the love we had at first. And in so doing, we answer that prayer that the spirit of wisdom and revelation will lead us to know God better, that the eyes of our hearts may be opened so that we can know the hope that we already have, but to rest in it more securely, to know the power of God that is within us, that it's not about credit to our own works or how good we are, but rather that we are fed by Christ's love, to serve with diligence and even with passion, that the resurrection power of Christ is at work within us. And this is good news, for God placed Christ over all things and under his feet appointed the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Friends, fill everything in every way with that love of Christ and never forget or let go of the love we had at first. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Before we go to a time of congregational prayer, um, we have a few updates to share. Um, one, and part of it's just a reminder of the love that we can have for this place and the ways in which we can love one another is through the prayer quilt ministry. And so I encourage you, if you're in person, to tie a knot symbolizing your prayers. And if you're, at, if you're at home, say a prayer for these situations, and someone here will tie an extra knot for you um, so that we can surround people in our prayers. We have two quilts um, for one situation with Sarah and Elena Carmona. Um, Sarah's 15-year-old uh, daughter, Elena, was believed to be lured away by a stranger online um, and to cover her tracks so that she would not be followed. She's been missing um, for several weeks now. Um, this is uh, relation to the Packard family. So we want to pray for Sarah, but we also want to pray for Lena that she may be found. And so we've got two prayer quilts for the family there. We hold that in hope. We also have a prayer quilt for Aaron Brown. 
This is just a great story um, from Dave and Lana Dupree and Dwayne and Karen Campice. Um, they, they met this young man, Aaron, on a trip uh, that they were taking. Um, and like I say, it's just one of those good stories of that love we can have at first to meet people along the way and to just share some love with them. Uh, they met him recently while on vacation in Arizona. Aaron's 26 years old. He's just moved to Phoenix from New York. Um, he's had a lot of challenges in his life. Things have been hard. They haven't always gone his way. But after all of that, he decided that he needed to start over in a new place, um, which is good, getting a clean start, but also hard. There's no family or friends or support around him. And so we believe it was by God's providence that uh, Dupree's and Campices got to run into Aaron and to love on him. And we're going to send him a quilt uh, down to Phoenix so that he can remember that he's being prayed for, he's being loved, and that we hope that he finds and continues to find the hope of Christ in his heart. So for all of the challenges ahead of starting over, we want to pray for Aaron as well. And also just a special request this morning um, from the Rosich family. Um, Chris um, is traveling with his father today to Mayo Clinic. Um, we've had a prayer quilt for Chris's dad um, a few weeks ago, um, but a lot of prayers this week that it can be a good and productive week at Mayo for all of the uh, surgeries and potential procedures that they'll need to do for Chris's father. Um, we want to lift this whole week before as it unfolds. So um, Chris and Vicki will keep us informed and we'll send out updates this week by email as they go. Um, with these in mind, Pastor Audrey um, will lead us in congregational prayer. Friends, let's pray. 